everyone, this is Keena Wolfenstein, and you're listening to the Complex Trauma Recovery Podcast. I'm trying to get back on a little bit more of a steady posting schedule. It's been a hectic few months over here. I'm really excited for today's interview with my friend and colleague, Jackie Blossfield. And just to introduce her, so Jackie recently joined us at Stronger Psychotherapy. She's licensed in Missouri, and she's taking clients in Missouri. She specializes in working with individuals who have struggled with complex PTSD, emotional dysregulation, anxiety, depression, interpersonal relationships, ADHD, and boundaries. She uses a range of modalities, including DBT, parts work, somatic movement, and attachment theory. She has training in EMDR and is currently getting trained in coherence therapy. And today we have a really great conversation about emotional neglect, um, what it is, what it looks like, how it affects people, and what the healing process is like. Before I play the episode, just a couple other quick announcements. Um, I have my link tree posted in the podcast description below. If you click on that, you'll find a bunch of different resources, including uh, four different workshops that I've done that are available for purchase. You can access the recording. My Patreon, where I post a lot of bonus content. Um, all of my workshops are posted on Patreon. I have extra writing and videos posted on Patreon. I have reading and training resources listed. I have a therapy cheat sheet with a list of modalities to help people find therapists. I have my practice website. So anything that you're looking for, you will find in that link tree. And um, as well as Jackie being open to clients, we also have a new therapist in Texas, Miami, and she's still taking clients as well. Everyone at our practice uses coherence therapy, experiential bottom-up modalities. So just wanted to put that out there in case anyone is looking for that kind of support and lives in Texas or Missouri. Thank you guys so much for supporting my podcast, and I hope you enjoy the episode. Okay. Hi, Jackie. Thank you for being here. Hi, Kina. I'm glad to to be here. So we are talking about emotional neglect today. Um, Can you start with maybe just speaking a little bit on like why that's a topic of interest for you or or what some of your experience has been like learning about that in your career? For sure. Um, Well, emotional neglect can be really what we know about the nervous system is anything that overwhelms the nervous system is too much for it for too long can kind of become a traumatic experience for so during childhood if you have emotional neglect sometimes that can look like a parent not kind of showing up during difficult times um it's not just a one-off it can be kind of a chronic thing where you continue to have stuff that you really worried about or have big emotions about but instead of being attuned to you are kind of dismissed and ignored or invalidated in that and so you kind of learn to keep a lot of stuff to yourself And I'm kind of interested in that personally and professionally because one, I think that I've heard or read somewhere, it's kind of a silent epidemic. Mm -hmm. A lot of people experience it. We just don't always know it. And it can be invalidated a lot of times in our society. People think of it as abuse as someone hitting you or someone leaving you without food for 10 days and that Mm -hmm. abuse, but it's not as that stuff is a lot more noticeable. You can point to that and be like, absolutely. Things with chronic emotional abuse can be, I don't remember a lot from my childhood. I don't remember specific times of my parents calling me names, but I have a lot of the same symptoms of emotional abuse. 
where Mm -hmm. I have a hard time kind of like forming connections, keeping connections. I can have emotional volatility. I can be extremely sensitive when someone invalidates me. And so those are a lot harder. And you just think it's a personality or a character flaw. But in reality, chronic invalidation over a long period of time combined with a highly sensitive person or a person who um, possibly from trauma is hypervigilant and notices a bunch of things Mm -hmm. and become traumatic for the nervous system as a child. And that's during a time usually where you don't have a lot of words. So it gets stored in the limbic system and is very hard to figure out. Yeah, definitely. I feel like um, people who have experienced emotional neglect are normally the people to kind of carry the narrative of like, I don't know why I have all these issues because nothing that bad really happened to me. And like my childhood really wasn't that traumatic and like comparing, you know, their, their family dysfunction to like those more kind of obvious or overt forms of trauma and like a lot of shame. And so I think it's definitely a really important subject for people to have more education about. It's definitely pretty like invisibilized kind of. Yeah. It's invisible and really insidious because if you're able to kind of name the trauma, it kind of gives you a blueprint for like, okay, this is where I'm going. But if you're unable to name it, it doesn't mean that you can't heal it, but it makes it a lot more hard to validate that you need healing. Yeah. That's where Mm -hmm. it's really difficult. A lot of people invalidate their own trauma because they're like, well, I wasn't hit. I had food. Whenever I was sick, my mom would then kind of pay attention to me Mm -hmm. all the time. You know, it's, it's the inconsistency that can kind of get a lot of kids. Yeah. Yeah. The inconsistency. And well, I feel like also it kind of just speaks to how in our culture, people aren't necessarily that informed on what emotional needs are, you know, like it's easy Mm -hmm. to identify like, yeah, you were left without food or without medical care or shelter, these kind of like basic physical needs, but you can't really recognize emotional neglect unless you know what emotional needs are and also how important they are. Cause I feel like emotional needs kind of get almost like minimized a little bit where it's like oh you didn't get attention like you know kind of not thought of as that big of a deal and what I always tell people is like no but as mammals like our survival depends on emotional Mm -hmm. closeness and and belonging and connection like when we don't have that it it actually is experienced as like a survival threat even if your body is technically safe absolutely I mean there it's well documented I think it was in orphanages they had kids where they had clothing, they had a bed, they had shelter, they had food, but the term failure to thrive came from it because these kids Mm. were hugged and touched and they actually died from it. And a modern day example, even in animals, is that walrus that was found, that baby walrus, you know? Oh yeah, that just happened recently, right? 24-7 care and touch. They're Mm. not like having to sit and feed the walrus, it's fine, but it needs that much touch in order to thrive and live and we're yeah. the same way in different needs yeah yeah or um did you read the the wire monkey study that they did yes. where they like yeah they had um baby monkeys and they put them in a room with two different like wire monkeys mm-hmm. and one of them was like a wire monkey that had bottles for feeding and one of them was a wire monkey but it was covered in like fake like fur and soft mm-hmm. stuff to make it snuggly basically and the baby monkeys would and didn't have any food and they would choose the one that was like cuddly and soft and didn't yes. have any food over yeah. the one with the bottles yeah 
which I think leads to a really good point too, is that why emotional neglect is so insidious and difficult is, and I think you've talked about this in your TikToks and probably on your podcast multiple times, is as kids get older, we have the choice between learning autonomy, learning about ourselves, kind of individuating versus connection. And if Mm. our connection is ever um, kind of threatened, we will choose connection over autonomy. Yeah. Our caregiver is not giving us that attention that we need, or whenever we become a little bit more independent, our caregiver becomes even more distanced. We're going to choose that connection and deny ourselves too. Yeah. Yeah. Like the, yeah, I think, um, I haven't heard it with, um, connection and sorry, did you say autonomy? I don't know if it's autonomy or if it's kind of like just learning about who you are. Yeah. Like individual, like authenticity and like individuation and yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think, um, when I first heard that it was, um, Gabor Mate who said attachment versus authenticity and that kids will always choose attachment, even if it means like losing themselves and, and not being themselves. Cause that's how deep of a need it is. Like you can't really survival. Yeah. 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 So what are, so I know you mentioned some in like the intro, but what are some of the main like adult problems that can kind of stem from not having those emotional needs met in childhood that you found in, in your work? Absolutely. Um, so I can probably come up with my own ideas, but I looked up onto an article and so it nice. was <laughs> conveniently for me. Um, some signs of emotional neglect can look at like lack of confidence, social withdrawal, emotional volatility, difficulty controlling emotion, which kind of goes with emotional volatility, mm-hmm. is in making and maintaining relationships, um, and depression and anxiety. Mm-hmm. Yeah, kind of like a whole range of like individual mental health issues and then also kind of relational, relational and attachment issues. Mm-hmm. Um, I find that like one of the main things that I see just working with a lot of complex trauma is people that are just very, either they're very disconnected from their own needs. Like they never really learn to, um, to identify and, and be like connected with their own needs, or they are aware of their needs, but they feel a lot of like shame about their needs. Cause there's kind of this, there's this internalizing where, when your needs are chronically unmet, instead of being like, Oh, these adults are not able to meet my needs and that's the them problem right it gets internalized as like my needs are the problem I need too much I'm too needy like I should I should just be able to take care of myself and so kind of this like suppression of of needs that can maybe show up in like an avoidant attachment type of manifestation yeah because yeah if we look at it and we especially through a coherence lens if your caregiver is continually burdened with your presence, like I'm really hungry or I had a really rough day. Well, you think you had it bad and goes Mm. to five or I work so hard and you don't even like this food. You know, that's kind of more overt stuff, but if it's more subtle and you know, their body language changes, they kind of disconnect from you, then you're going to um, kind of internalize that because if you don't like survival is going to be, um, kind of threatened because if you mm-hmm. don't, your caregiver is flawed at that age, that's a really scary thing in the world. And so as you grow up, you might kind of develop almost too much of a, um, 
don't know what I'm trying to say. Like too much, you, you will not have any needs. You won't ask for anything. Or yeah. It's are there and you can voice them. There's this guilt and this fear that's internalized that again, you might not even have words for mm-hmm. um, that. I shouldn't have these needs. And so yeah. that shame kind of comes in to protect you like it did as a kid. Cause if you said it, then you were shamed as well as hungry or you were shamed as well as sad. Yeah. 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 I, that makes perfect sense. Like basically if you shame yourself, if you deny yourself, if you reject yourself, um, it almost like saves you or protects you from the hurt of reaching out with a need and then having it rejected. Right. Like that feeling of like trying to get love, trying to get attention, trying to get connection and being shut down or shamed is so painful that if you learn how to just kind of like shame yourself and suppress all your own needs and, and reject the validity of those needs, it's like a, a protective, you know, defense to not have to feel that rejection. Yeah. Yeah. Do you feel like normally people that experience this kind of emotional neglect, um, do end up with that kind of like hyper-independent avoidant attachment pattern, or do you see it go both ways where it can show up in more like anxious attachment patterns as well? I don't know if I have definitive, um, one way or the other opinion. I think that it can go both ways. Um, Obviously, my perspective is not <laughs> the world doesn't revolve around my perspective, but I would probably go more towards that anxious avoidant because mm. is this fear of having needs that brings pain. Yeah, 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 definitely. Recog- of course, there's like so much variation, but yeah, like kind of that like fearful, fearful avoidant response would yeah. be pretty typical with that kind of trauma. And what I see is a lot of um, self-talk. It's almost as if their either abuser or partner or parent is in the room as we're speaking. Mm-hmm. This to consciousness, it cannot just be their perspective, their side, their needs. It's well, and I understand why they were going through, and I'm not tra- saying that I want to be completely coddled or mm. saying that I have to have last word on everything you know it's always this defensiveness even within their own mind that they're yeah. battle daily yep yep yeah really internalizing like the those negative voices and and not even able to like it doesn't feel safe to voice the the intensity of those needs even in like a private space mm-hmm. of therapy that it's been mm-hmm. so shamed um and I feel like that's a lot of the work that I end up doing with people with that kind of trauma is to even just allow themselves to really express like what those needs were, you know, like I, and, uh, I took a while ago, this training, um, circle of security, which is like, a. have you heard of that Jackie? No, it's so it's used for educating parents with like little kids. So I took this before I was a therapist when I was working in early intervention, but it's basically Mm -hmm. a training for helping parents learn how to help their like littles, you know, zero to five, like develop secure attachment. I really love it. It's, It's a really great training. And one of the things that they talk about are um, basically, you know, the parents have two main roles. They are the secure base where then the kids feel safe to kind of go out and explore. And like, kind of like you were talking about, like try new things and take risks and have adventures and, yeah. you know, go 
go down the slide by themselves for the first time. But what do little kids need when they're doing that? Right. Like mm-hmm. the, the healthy attachment experience is to have parents there that are basically like clapping for you and like delighting over you and celebrating with you when you like, you know, go, go, you know, ride a bike for the first time or whatever. Yeah. Um, and so you're there as the kind of their cheerleader while they like take those steps into the world. And then the second kind of role is as the safe haven, which is when like you need comfort and you need connection and you need to kind of come back to that, like, you know, um, that's soothing. And then the parents are there to be like, you know, loving. And I think some of the phrases they use are like, you know, soothe me, comfort me, help me organize my feelings, yes. that kind of thing. And so a lot of the work that I end up doing with, with people is kind of helping them connect with what those like very basic primal needs are that they Mm -hmm. might've not ever even been able to fully imagine or allow themselves to want, you know, because it had to be shut down. And so I'll use that language of like, yeah, you know, a lot of kids, like you need your parents to like delight over you when you like take these big steps and that level of attunement, right. To have parents that like delight over you, like that, that will like bring up a lot of emotions sometimes where it's like, oh shit. Like, (laughs) you know, I've, I've been over here barely even allowed to say that I want little breadcrumbs of attention. And mm-hmm. now I'm learning that what kids really need is to be delighted over. Like that's a big yeah. level of attunement. Yeah, absolutely. I think that I've, I might have, have heard or seen that hold as something else, but it reminds me of the, the cycle of attachment where it's like the kid is born, they have the secure base. And then as they get older around like two or three, they start to kind of move away from mom. They explore the world a little more mm-hmm. or the world, they experience anxiety. Cause they're like, God, this is something new. I have never experienced this. Then they start to protest and that can look like little kids, like reaching up, mom, pick me up kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. Get older. It can be anger and it can be pushing away your parents, but mm-hmm. it's saying I'm really hurt. I'm scared. You know, there, anything that's underneath that anger iceberg. And then under the protest, it's you're comforted, you are attuned to, you're seen, and you're given an appropriate attunement in that moment. And then you get that secure base. So mm-hmm. kind of, it's probably called something different, but it's that circle of, of a secure base. And when rest yeah. and comfort happens is usually what doesn't happen for a lot of kids with emotional neglect. It goes ignored. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I think the other thing that's coming to mind for me is like, there, I feel like there's so many different kinds of emotional neglect that can really affect yeah. how this shows up too. Like, you know, there are parents where maybe they are like so absorbed in their own kind of emotional pain or their own stressors in life that yes. they just cannot like be attuned to the child. And then there are parents where there may be like that. I think with that kind, it's sometimes it's more of the role reversal, like parentification type Mm -hmm. of dynamic, right. Where your emotional needs aren't met because you're actually meeting the parents' emotional needs. And you're like, you know, super aware of like your parents' emotional dysregulation. And so yours just gets pushed to the side. And then on the other extreme, there's like a version of this uh, emotional neglect where it's more like a parent that just has no tolerance for anything emotional or difficult. So they just keep everything really superficial and just really kind of like, um, lacking any depth. And, um, and then there, like you said, there can be kind of the inconsistency too, where it's like, sometimes they're attuned, but then sometimes they're not. And, um, so Mm -hmm. I feel like there's, there's a lot of variation in like, what, what kind of core beliefs you're going to develop are going to be kind of based on the specific 
ways that the parents were emotionally neglectful. Right. And I think that brings up a really good point is that emotional neglect can be so unintentional. Yeah. A lot of kids can grow up knowing that their parents love them and their parents might even tell them that. But based on possibly poverty, based on um, trauma, intergenerational trauma, Mm -hmm. so many things outside of the parent, the parent might have all of the intention of loving and caring for their kid. But if their trauma isn't healed, if they are extended beyond what they can do, if they're a single parent and they have no social security net, if they have no help, you're not going to have enough emotional attunement to take care of yourself, let alone a kid. Yeah. Kids with emotional neglect might grow up and say, but my mom loved me. Absolutely. She probably did. A lot of times emotional neglect isn't always intentional. Yeah. always mean impact yes yeah I remember like a couple years ago I interviewed someone on this podcast Justin Sinceri about polyvagal theory and Mm -hmm. we were talking about um, he worked with kids a lot I think as a school counselor and he said that one of the questions that he would ask kids is um, do you feel loved and a lot of these kids would be like well I know my parents love me And he'd be like, no, no, I know, you know, they love you, but do you feel loved? And that it's like, there's a difference there, right? Like you can kind of know that your parents love you and they say they love you. Um, And there is like, yeah, like you said, a good intention to be loving, but like, are you actually experiencing a felt sense of being loved? You know, a lot of the times that's what's missing. Right. And especially if you show emotion that is outside of the realm of what your parent is capable of experiencing or deems acceptable. Yeah. Can you speak a little more on that? So a lot of times if parents are too exhausted, pushed to the limit, working too hard, all the things that unfortunately capitalism really likes to increase. Yeah. Um, (laughs) um, Just lost my train of thought. The... What was I saying? Um, that like it's dependent. Oh God, now I lost my train of thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> the double eighty-five. <laughs> okay, let's see. Let's retrace our steps. We were talking about um, like it, oh, if the needs that the child has are like oh yeah, if they're outside of that, outside of what the parent can the manage parent can or yeah handle yeah so. Parents have trauma. If parents have, um, you know, they're exhausted from a long day of work. Being happy, that fond, that appeasement, possibly response mm-hmm. to the neglect might happen a lot. But if you're having a day, and and usually you can be like, "Hey, mom. Hey, dad. I love you. I'm so glad that you're here." After the parent has had a long day, and they might respond really well to that. On other days, though, the parent might be having a really rough day or something. And maybe you have a rough day at the same time. Mm-hmm. What happens is that you're unable to self-regulate because you're only allowed to have positive, good emotions. And so whenever the negative emotions come up, you're like, I don't know how to deal with this. And it just kind of comes out. The parent not might not be able to one, even palate that emotion and might shame or ignore you because their window of tolerance is so freaking shot. Yep. It creates the cycle of, I can't even talk about the negative emotions that I'm feeling. I better keep it to myself. Again, with that coherence to protect yourself. 
Yeah. Yeah. That actually reminds me also of um, one of the things they talk about in circle of security training. They use the language shark music and they basically talk about mm. how like based on your triggers from your own childhood. And that, that's what I love about the circle of security training. Like for any parents listening, it's really compassionate because it's not just about how can I give my kids security? It's about how can I give my kids security um, while understanding my own trauma history and my own yes. triggers that are going to come up being a parent. Cause like being a parent when you have a trauma history is really freaking triggering you know and that, oh and my gosh normal. it's so hard yeah so they talk about basically shark music being those things where like the, the child does something and it creates that trigger within the parent based on how they were raised and so you know the shark music of like donna 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 like that kind of thing that <laughs> yeah. that's kind of how you start feeling when you're getting like dysregulated and yeah um, and you so can maybe, feel the pressure rising in your body <laughs> yes exactly um and and so you know maybe it's like that when you were growing up you learned that you know children should be seen and not heard and so now when your kids are being really noisy and really you know kind of intrusive yeah. or whatever that gets your shark music going or maybe you learned that kids should not cry and you were always shamed for crying and so when your kids won't mm -hmm. I'm crying you know that's the trigger and so it's kind of like how do you know like learn to recognize what your own shark music is so then yes. you can work on breaking those cycles with your kids yeah oh my god that totally reminds me so I don't have kids but I remember in in college I did a lot of um like I worked with kids a lot mm -hmm. I started to notice it was very interesting this was like the beginning of my little heading into psychology and mm -hmm. <laughs> own trauma. But these kids would reach a, like they would start screaming or they would start crying. And I felt not just like, oh God, panic. I felt disgust. And mm -hmm. I noticed that in myself. But instead of judging it, I was like, what is happening? Because at my core, I knew what my character was. I knew of course. about kids. I care about animals. I care about things that are hurting. And so I was like, well, this kind of goes against everything. Right. Stand for. So then I got really curious about it. And that's whenever I kind of delved a little bit deeper and I was like, I'm not allowed to cry and ask for my needs to be mm. met. I'm in a really panicky, dysregulated, scared place. Yeah. That's how I was able to figure out, oh, my strong reaction is because I was denied that as a kid. Yeah. 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 That's your shark music. <laughs> that's my shark music. Yep. Yeah. Wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I feel like that. I feel like as we're talking about this too, I want to say, cause I, I work with a lot of parents that are like working on breaking those cycles, especially yes. parents with like little kids, like under, under five, under six. And I noticed that parents with this kind of trauma will often be like so hard on themselves because they're like, they are so dedicated to like breaking these cycles and raising kids with secure attachments mm -hmm. that then if they have like any moment where they're not their best, right? Like they have a moment where they get irritated or they're snappy or they're not emotionally attuned, they will like shame spiral and be like, oh my God, I'm going to mess my kid up and I'm, they're not going to have a secure attachment. And, and so I just want to say for people listening to that, like, perfection is not what's needed, you know, no. to, to give a kid a healthy childhood. Um, and like parents are human. And I think just having a parent that is aware of these things and is trying is so meaningful because 
what most, what most of us with complex trauma did not get right. Is parents mm-hmm. that can come apologize, like parents that can come and be like, Hey, I'm sorry. That I was snappy hurt. earlier. Yes. Like that, you know, that wasn't a you problem. That was a me problem. Like, you know, let's, let's snuggle or, and so modeling, like being able to apologize, modeling, like repairing when there's like a rupture between you and your kids, um, trying to be attuned most of the time, even if you can't be attuned all of the time, like mm-hmm. that is still enough. Like kid, kids, nervous systems don't need perfection. They just need kind of like consistent effort, you know, and, um, and like accountability. And so just, just to make sure nothing we're saying, will give a parent a reason to beat themselves up. You know what I mean? Well, and that actually brings, I really wanted to make this point as well. You talk about how much you need to attune and I'm sure you're familiar with, and you've probably talked about before, but this is a great place to remind everyone of the good enough caregiver. Yes. That is your kid only has to be attuned to 30% of the time. So it doesn't even have to be most of the time. Mm-hmm. R is so low. Yeah. And so as <laughs> it's a good thing and a bad thing. Yeah. The bar is low for the children. The bar is high for the parents and yeah. society really loves to shame parents. There is no safe place for a parent to struggle these days. And that makes parents parenting even more difficult and good parenting is hard. Bad parenting is easy. Yep. Um, flat, you know, generalization, but really like parenting is easy if you don't care. If you do care, parenting is the hardest thing you will ever do in your life. Yeah. Yeah. You're acutely aware. And especially when people are really educated on this kind of stuff, like, I don't have kids yet, but I, I would like to have kids. I'm planning on having kids. And I always mm-hmm. think, oh my God, I'm going to be so overly aware of every single thing <laughs> like, as a trauma therapist that spends all day talking to people about their crappy childhood. <laughs> I feel like I already know this is going to be <laughs> a challenge for me. Um, yes. but yeah, that, those kind of reminders of the good enough are really important. Like it's, it's okay. And as we get older, we realize that our parents are human and we, and we realized that, you know, they were people with their own struggles. And so, um, I think it is so important to remember that, like, usually the people that are beating themselves up the most are the people that are doing way better than the average population. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, they care so much and that's why they're so hard on themselves. I, yeah, this reminds me of a story. I, some like you, like every therapist, you know, you have those days, weeks, and even months where you're just like, why, why is someone paying to do this? Like, Mm -hmm. I, am I even making a difference? Am I doing anything? I was talking to a friend who's a teacher and he made the observation of the teachers or the, the parents in his classroom that came to him the most were usually the best teacher or the best parents, Mm. but they were also the parents that worried if they were doing a good enough job the most. Yes. So that has really stuck with me just as a therapist and let alone too, as someone encouraging parents is it's, and I I've tried to look at it from different angles too, not just from like parenting, but like, yeah, the parents that I see that are really good parents, they're the ones always looking and finding out information and trying really, really hard. Mm-hmm. That's the same way with therapists as well. Like, the more we question ourselves, the more we're looking for ways to help our clients. And so there's this balance of, yes, I want to do better and moving into how to kind of heal from emotional neglect. And it's cultivating radical and yep. deep compassion. 
and unloved. Yes. And so to speak to you saying like, oh my God, I'm going to be so aware of all the ways I'm messing up my child. Yeah. <laughs> like radically accepting. Yeah. Your kid's going to have some stuff because we're human and we're supposed to mess up. And that actually, that's normal. Yeah. But even if you're super, super aware, modeling that self-compassion and unconditional love with high standards for how you treat yourself and others, that makes it real simple. Yes. Yeah, totally. Like that's really it. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. I, I feel like um, for kids to like seeing their parents model struggling sometimes is not a bad thing, you know, like to see right. your parent be willing, like be, you know, irritable or sad or having a bad day, but then to have that parent be able to come to you and kind of acknowledge it and talk about it and be like, yeah, I know I've been kind of grumpy <laughs> these last couple of days. Or like, mm-hmm. I know you saw me cry earlier, you know, that kind of thing, like creating an environment where you can actually talk about shit openly. Mm-hmm. Even just that is so significant. Cause I mean, one of the main things that happens in emotionally neglectful homes is that you can't talk about anything, right. you know, it's like, you can't talk about the fact that your needs aren't being met. You can't talk mm-hmm. about the fact that you feel disconnected from your parent like everything is kind of in this like hush hush invisibilized you know don't acknowledge it type of space and so I always tell parents like that is one of the biggest things you can do even if you mess up like just being able to be like hey we can talk about it when we mess up we can talk about it when your feelings are hurt we can talk about it when there's like a disconnection um is so like so helpful for kids and sometimes for that self-compassion what I'll do is I'll have parents imagine how would your life be different if your parents raised you the way that you're raising your kids? And mm. usually that will really help them connect with a sense of self-compassion, you know, cause most of the parents that are really hypervigilant about this stuff have like really crappy childhoods, you know, like really, yeah. you know, significantly um, emotionally neglectful or abusive or dysfunctional. And when they kind of imagine like, yeah, what would it have been like for me if my parents could acknowledge what was going on in our home and could apologize to me when they yell at me and could, that kind of creates this like sense washing over them of like, okay, I'm doing better. <laughs> I'm doing better yeah. than I thought, you know. I'm doing it. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What what else do you find is like important in the therapy with people that have experienced emotional neglect? Like what kinds of processes or goals or interventions like do you typically find important with this kind of work? I find really the basis is and I think this this is almost with like every single symptom or person that comes in is just radical validation like Mm -hmm. validate validate the emotion validate how they felt validate all of the things that they have thought like um just to increase that self-compassion and seeing that your struggle is real. Your struggle really matters. Mm-hmm. Um, and even sometimes using, I think that you've brought up Biederman's uh, chart of coercion, even oh, if yeah. using coercion, sometimes going down that chart and being like, I am kind of feeling isolated or I am kind of feeling some of these things. Um, that might be kind of off topic. I don't know if we want to in- include that. No, I, I, I see what you mean. I mean, I think, um, can you speak a little louder by the way, again, I think it's getting a little, a little quiet there. 
um, like helping people just identify like these are, these are the things that I'm struggling with because again, there's like such, there's such a theme of people like dismissing their own needs and emotional experiences. So I feel like that, like that work of encouraging someone to step into naming Mm -hmm. like their, their needs and their feelings and, um, and their pain and all of that. And then I feel like from the attachment perspective, like just learning that there are people that do care, you know, because there's, there's this big learning that comes with emotional neglect of kind of like, I'm a burden, I think, or people, people just don't care. Like there's no point. I'm just going to get rejected. And so helping people start to integrate that, like, there are people that want to be emotionally attuned to you and like, want to be connected to you and, and want to know you. Um, I think it can be hard because it's like as adults, obviously, we're not going to get those needs met the way they needed to be met in childhood, right? Because like as an adult, like you're not going to find a friend or a romantic partner that's going to like meet your needs the way that a parent would because at that point it wouldn't be healthy, but you can get those needs met in the context of like what that can look like for adult, adult Mm -hmm. relationships that can be really healing. And then I think I I love inner child work for that too, you know, to kind of do like the reparenting for those deeper needs. Yeah. I love that. And I love, um, connecting with, I know over and over therapists are like, well, how do you feel? Or where do you feel that in the body? (laughs) (laughs) But it's so true. It really is kind of bringing mindfulness to because what happens so much if you self-abandon in childhood in order to keep connection you don't know what your needs are yep so a lot of times it's figuring out like as you're talking about this I'll slow clients down like especially if they're having that they're talking and then their abuser or neglecting person is talking and they're kind of having this like self-conversation I'll point out like man what are you feeling in your body because I feel really tense and if mm-hmm that I'll like go down to how is your breathing where how is your chest mm-hmm. how is your stomach how are your hands and I'll just kind of do a little bit of a body scan with them or if they're not even able to do that I'll be like can I kind of share how I'm feeling because as you were speaking my chest is getting really tight it almost feels like I have something in my throat like I want to say something but I can't get it out mm-hmm. hands are they're clenching and I'm kind of wringing them even as you're, you're sharing, because like my limbic system's picking up what you're feeling. Do you feel any, anything like that? And kind of build off of that because in order to figure out what our needs are, we have to get to know ourselves. We have to yeah. know in our bodies. Yeah. And you're kind of providing like mirroring too with that, which is really, mm-hmm. cause that's like a developmental need is to the help me organize my feelings. Right. The like, you know, you look sad right now, you seem scared right now, like a parent being able to kind of help you figure out what you're feeling. And so right. I think that mirroring is really valuable and, and it shows attunement. Like it shows that you're really, your nervous system is like mm-hmm. connecting with the client's nervous system and you're kind of sensing like what they might be feeling in that moment. Yeah, it creates that emotionally corrective experience of when I was a kid and I was wringing my hands or I was darting my eyes back and forth or my shoulders were clenched up and I was afraid to say anything or move. Yeah. Ignored. No one noticed. No one responded. Yeah. So I I learned to ignore that because imagine living in that all the time. That would be horrible. Yeah. Connect for my body to survive. And so as an adult, I don't know what my body feels like. And so- Creating that emotionally corrective experience where 
I see you. I see your body tensing up. I notice that. It's you're not it's it's easy to see. How yeah. does it feel? And it can be overwhelming. And so even in that learning, it's not even about got to figure out exactly what I'm feeling in my body and notice it all the time. Oh my goodness, your nervous system will absolutely That's too much, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's 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 that self-compassion at every step. This mm-hmm. Matt, what I can notice right now is my hands. My hands are clenching. Okay, cool. I'm going to clench them and release. Notice the feeling. I'm going to do that progressive muscle relaxation to kind of attune and release some of that tension. And I don't have to force notice everything in my body. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And, and that they're not being asked to do it alone too. Cause I feel like sometimes when you're just like, where do you feel that in your body? That question almost can leave people like dysregulated or stranded. Cause they're like, what, like, where, where, yeah, what, what are you saying? Where do I start? <laughs> so I love that you kind of like do it with them, you know, like let's, yeah. let's scan together. I can see that being really helpful for people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it kind of takes the burden off of them. Because again, they've had to do it alone. Yes. Yeah. They, no, they can do it with me. We can model this together. They don't have to notice these things and carry that burden alone. Like that's why therapists are here. We're here to do it together. We need attunement. We need co-regulation. And yeah. this, you can practice that. Yeah. 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 It reminds me of, um, there, there were, there have been a few people that I worked with that had a lot of emotional neglect where they actually gave me that feedback directly. And they basically said, you know, it's really helpful when you tell me something that you observe, because it feels like for the first time, I'm not having to figure everything out by myself. Um, whereas, you know, a lot, we kind of do both as therapists, like we leave room for the clients to come to their own discoveries, but we also Mm -hmm. maybe put out our own like observations and, and ideas. But I think specifically with emotional neglect, there's something really meaningful there. And you know, basically there were times where I would say, well, you know, I have a guess about what might be going on. Like, you know, here's something that I've noticed, or here's something that I'm thinking. And I can see this like relief that comes in the response of like, oh my God, I'm not, I'm not the only one in my reality kind of like someone else is like paying enough attention that they are noticing things. And I'm not having to do like all of the work by myself. Mm -hmm. Some of the looks that clients give you whenever they realize I don't have to do this alone, like makes me tear up every time. Yeah. Yeah. Like actually being able to sense like we are here together and like in this, in this process together. Yeah. You can see the load just like come off their shoulders as they realize I don't have to do this alone. Yeah. Yeah. We were never meant to do it alone. Right. Right. That's the problem is that you had to do it alone for, for way too long. Right. And in our individualized society, we're kind of told you can't be loved until you love yourself. You can't do. I hate that line. I know. I want to kill it. (laughs) We're so told we're almost like if we struggle, like, well, you better figure that out. Better learn to love yourself. You better whatever in order to heal. And it's like, I mean, you're literally fighting millions of years of biology. Yeah need other people like we cannot do it alone and you're just perpetuating abuse by being not that you're being abusive but like it's making it not heal right I gotta do it alone yep it's scary to do it with other people yeah 
Yeah. I mean, and I even hear people like basically repeat those messages, really thinking that they're doing something wrong by craving relationships. Like I hear people literally say like, well, I know that I shouldn't be in a relationship until I can be completely happy, you know, not having any, or I know that I I shouldn't be looking for love and validation from anybody else. And it's like, no, like that's fine. (laughs) You know, so obviously things can get into extremes, you know, where we are like seeking love and validation from other people to kind of a compulsive degree or without develop or as a replacement you know, for like any kind of connection with yourself. And really we need both, right? Like we need connection with ourselves and connection with other people. We need self-compassion and compassion from others. And, and what I always tell people is like, we can seek both at the same time, you know, one does yeah. not have to come before the other. Like we can do, we can do it all, you know, right. self-love, <laughs> love from others. Like there's no, no particular sequence that needs to be followed here. They're yeah. both needs and they're both like completely healthy needs. Yeah. It is good to need that. It's- yeah really sucks whenever you need it and someone is unable to provide it. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? That reminds me of parts work too. I wanted to just say something Mm. about parts work here because, um, you know, in, in IFS, they talk about like the parts of us that get kind of exiled that hold the the pain. And Mm -hmm. I feel like a lot of the times what happens with emotional neglect is that the needy part gets exiled, right? It's like the part of us that needs others and that, that wants that love and that wants that connection, that becomes the part of us that we're like, this is the root of the problem. Like, this is like the bad part of me, you know, that has caused all of these problems. And then there will be this like internal fracturing. And I mean, this was something that I experienced to some extent. And I, I identified as more of like the anxious attachment type of person. Like that was Mm -hmm. typically how I felt in relationships, but I hated that anxiety, that anxious part of me, because I felt like that was like, that was wrong to have that neediness and that, you know, that kind of like pursuing energy. And I felt like I needed to figure out how to basically like shut that part of me down. And if I can just become like not needy at all, then, you know, I can like get the needs met. And it was kind of this whole, whole like convoluted thing. But I, I think that's really common where like people, people shame that part of them. And so I like doing parts work with this, where you kind of like, reconnect with that needy part of you and get to the point where you can like love that needy part of you and you know let that needy part of you know like you're good like there's nothing wrong with with this part this part is like completely natural and necessary and the bad thing that happened is that yeah this part wasn't able to be safe or thrive because those needs weren't met but the the needs were never the problem absolutely It's like those, those parts of us that we feel the most shame about usually have the most wisdom for how to take care of ourselves. Mm. We might have those managers. So like the exiled part, I shouldn't need people. And then the, or I need someone and I really, really want someone to come and help me, whatever that might look like. Then the manager comes in and is like, no, you need to stop. You need to don't, don't need that. Both of those parts are trying to protect us from a reality where our needs aren't met in that moment yeah they get frozen in the past and so healing like you just said it's learning to love the most unlovable parts of ourselves yeah to become the best version it's not to be the best person in the world it's to be like that time that I was really hurting where I was screaming and kicking and crying to get my needs met and I was met with a brick wall of no emotion, invalidation, or even being shamed for having those needs mm-hmm. to look at that part of yourself that was so desperate and say, I get it. I understand why you were asking for that. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good thing to have that need. Yeah. 
Yeah. And to even say to that part, just like, I'm so sorry that they couldn't meet you. Like you were great. (laughs) You know, like you were, you were beautiful. What you wanted was beautiful. And I'm so sorry that the people around you couldn't meet those needs. And it wasn't your fault. It Mm -hmm. it had nothing to do with your needs being too big or too much, or you're too emotional or you're too too sensitive. Like the people around you just did not have the capacity to give you what you needed. And that had nothing to do with, with you. Right. Um, You have good needs. Yeah. The needs are great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, I was just going to ask if there's anything else that we haven't covered yet that you wanted to make sure we could talk about today. Um, I think the only other thing that I had was just talking about like the four A's, which is like the needs for, I don't know if it's needs for connection or if it's needs for like good relationships, but affection, attention, admiration, and attunement. Affection, attention, admiration, and attunement. Yeah. I haven't heard those before. Those are great. Yeah. I I know that I read an article back in 2020 and I was trying to find it, um, but it kind of talked about those four things. And I just saw it on Instagram. Someone talked about those four. And so I really wanted to bring that up because they're kind of an easy way to remember, like, if I'm not feeling like I'm getting a affection or not enough attention or attunement or my partner's not like doesn't really admire me in whatever capacity that might be again like you said we're not going to get all of our needs met but those are really good if we're feeling that to kind of get curious about that lack of mm-hmm. or for having um those four a's because those are really kind of simple way of of looking at how to have a healthy relationship in a sense. Yeah. I really like that as like a, a measurement tool to kind of validate. Cause I could imagine someone with a lot of neglect, even hearing that and being like, Oh, I'm allowed to want all of that. Like affection, right. attention, admiration, and attunement. Like, okay. Yeah. That creates a good framework to know that I'm not asking for too much or, or that I could even ask for like a little bit more to feel, you know, more close and secure in my relationships today. Absolutely. I think people with emotional neglect are so many times that stuff's a luxury. Yeah. Like that feels like decadent. Like, yeah. <laughs> like eating caviar on like a, you know, in a golden room, like to, to be asking yeah. for admiration. And it, yeah. Yeah. Totally. Those are things for people who are lucky in love and in life. Those people are the, the creme de la creme of right. relationships, connection, and community. And yeah. reality. We, we all deserve those things. Yes. Okay. To, to need that and have a yearning and a longing for those four things. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Yeah. I think that's a really good, good note to end on. Um, Jackie, are you taking clients? I am. Oh my gosh. No way. <laughs> taking clients at strong roots with you. Oh yeah. We work together. <laughs> oh, how about that? Yeah. Yeah, so I'll put your bio um, in the podcast description, and you are taking clients in the state of Missouri, right? In good old Missouri. <laughs> <laughs> so if you guys want to work with Jackie, her information will be will be below. And um, Jackie's amazing, and she does. You do some EMDR, some parts work, like all kinds of different stuff, right? Yeah, I love polyvagal. I love parts work. I trained in EMDR and getting better at that, working on cognitive therapy, um, all those good stuff. Yeah.
awesome okay well thank you so much for coming and sharing your your voice and experience on the podcast i really enjoyed this conversation absolutely it was so fun to come on here and talk about something that gets neglected <laughs> Ooh, the irony but, um, <laughs> we'll end on on a good little little pun there thank you so much jackie absolutely thanks so much kina